Good morning. Chris, how are you doing this morning? I am good. We are we are at another episode of the Playground Podcast, and we have a very special guest with us today. Who is it? Why, it's Robin Raskin from Living in Digital Times. We are so excited. This is a big get for us. Yay! Uh, so she's joined us for coffee this morning. And I walked miles in the snow, <laughs> you, you came all the way across town. That's pretty amazing. Well, it's very exciting to have you here, Robin. Uh, I know Chris and I have always been big fans of yours. And uh, um, your work, uh, particularly with the CES, uh, your uh, really groundbreaking work and reporting on technology, uh, and we're going to get into a little bit about that. Uh, and now, or more, most recently, your, your kind of embrace of play and the toy industry uh, will make you uh, a, 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 a major influencer uh, in the world of play. And um, so I, I think I, what, what I'd like to ask you about, first of all, is can you... Can you tell our readers who maybe are not aware a little bit of your history in, in terms of uh, how you happen to get started? Yeah, no, it's just called like the accidental entrepreneur. So imagine this. Um, it's the 80s, and my husband brings home a Unix computer and says, you're going to love this. I'm trying to be a writer. So anyhow, I, he teaches me NROF and TROF and VIs. He's nuts. I don't even know what those are. Nobody knows what they are anymore. So I, I, I can't afford a shrink, and I have <laughs> children at home. So I write a column called How I Learned About Computers to Save Our Marriage. It's like a 500-word rant. It says, this is really hard, but I know it's important, and I think women in the future are going to have to learn this is not like pool or golf or something. <laughs> so fast forward, the next day, Bill Ziff calls and he goes, I'm starting a little magazine in New York called PC Magazine. You want to come here? And I, I don't know anything about technology. You just read what I know. And he said, nobody knows anything about technology. Come on in. And like sort of the rest was history. I never looked back. I felt like the translator between all these things that were going on. So what was it like to be probably one of the few women in uh, in that tech, which was probably a pretty male-dominated technology, yeah. which oh, still yeah. is in many yeah, ways. Yeah, very much. But I had this vision that uh, if people didn't embrace technology, just the geeks would, and everybody else would be left out. So I actually left PC Magazine to start Family PC, because I felt that in the early 90s, so many people needed to understand what it meant to be digital that their kids were going to be raised differently, that they were going to have different opportunities, and that it was so important to understand these tools in the context of your life. So started a new magazine based on families testing things, and it was great fun. I learned a lot. I was there right at the beginning when CD-ROMs, and you had to learn to, mm -hmm. to, to play on these clunky machines with clunky interfaces sort of all the way through. So you get to see patterns, you know? So uh, I guess how did you get there, uh, from there, to being a major landlord, so to speak, oh. uh, almost uh, a baroness uh, at uh, the Consumer <laughs> Electronics Show? So, you, you know, I always, like I said, everything's accidental that I've, that I've ever done. So I leave, Family PC closes, PC Magazine goes out of print, I go to Yahoo and Sorry, Yahoo. I did not like it. I, I did not like writing and blog and with no context. The CE, CTA said to me, um, 
uh, what do you really want to do? Because we were friends. I did this last gadget standing that was a big event. And I said, I don't know. It seems like you guys need to start telling stories about the different sectors of, of and verticals. And let's just, so we started kids and family and seniors and then digital health and digital money and high-tech retailing. And the idea was everybody comes to CES to see trends and new tech. But if you're in an industry, you're going like, oh my God, what does that mean to me? Like, what should I do next? Like AI or 5G is coming. Bah! <laughs> so, so, so we started doing vertical shows within CES, and it was a, it's just been a wonderful partnership. So how much space do you actually get at CES now? Oh God, I have to call my partner. Um, we get about a third of the Sands. So it's, and then the Sands Hotel. The right? Sands Hotel. Um, CES is all divided up into uh, things, and but everybody knows the Sands because Eureka Park is there and the Smart Home is there, and it's kind of the place where you feel this amazing energy. Oh, well, nice. <laughs> well, I know you have a play section there. Uh, yes. Okay, what other sections do you have? We have play, we have digital health, which is huge, we have family tech, beauty tech, baby tech, um, uh, Wearables, fitness tech, uh, digital money, which is like watching screens churn out bitcoins, basically, and right. high-tech retailing. So what, from my vantage, you start to see the, the parallels between all these industries, and you see what's happening in the kids' industry is happening in every industry, and we're all grappling with the same problems, and so it's kind of a great place to see the world. And you also spearhead a wonderful program called the Cappy Awards. Yes. Uh, <laughs> which is, which which I've been fortunate enough to be on the, the jury for a couple of years, several years. I was years. on the jury at one time as well. And and it's really looking at the best in kids' technology, and that's that's been a dynamic uh, area over the past few years. And the judges like the both of you, are from all over the place. They run their own awards, they have their own publications. So what I like it is it takes educators, it takes software developers, it takes everybody's opinion, and um, try and pick the best. And actually wrote a piece last year, kind of where are they now, looking at, of those votes, what was a success, what wasn't. It's um, sobering. Well, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely sobering because there are times when, when we see things as adults that we go, wow, that's amazing. And you forget the cognitive level of a five-year-old who goes, Psh, goes right over their head. They don't, they don't care. Yeah, and we've seen everything, so we're used to, you know, we want that unique, <laughs> we haven't seen it before factor, and they just want what hits them at the moment. <laughs> Discovery is more, you know, marketing, it takes a lot of money to get your product out in the eyes, you know, they're, and so I think sometimes we make bad choices, but lots of times we make great choices. Right. Well, here's my question. Um, so you have all these sections mm -hmm. at the Sands, and, and there is a play section. Mm -hmm. What kind of participation do you get from the toy industry? Actually, we get a, a lot of support um, from organizations like Astra, um, the, the American, American Specialty Toy Retailing Association. And, and the Toy Association, um, Shytag, you guys. So we try and cast a wide invite. We say, this is how I feel about CES in general. Wherever you are, whatever you do, you're sort of like camels going up and down the desert, you know? <laughs> and when you get to the bizarre art, at, uh, not bizarre, but right. bizarre. Bazaar, right. right. Life 
flourishes, ideas happen. So I consider it the center of cross-pollination. Now, do I wish, same time as Hong Kong Toy Fair, you know, from the reality perspective, and a month before Toy Fair in New York. So it's, when, when an industry is uh, pinched for pennies, it's... But are the toy companies taking space? Are they showing their products? Do, does the toy industry yeah. get it? The toy industry gets it when they have a high-tech product. So I'm not interested if, if you have a puzzle. Right. I'm interested if there are chips in it and it represents fast-forward stuff. So right now, China um, and you know the international scene is more happening at CES than the U.S. scene. The U.S. has dialed back on technology, don't you think? I think to a certain extent they have. And, and we were just, Richard and I were just at the Guangzhou uh, toy and EDU fair, and there was a great deal of technology, and technology that was designed to help Chinese children learn to speak English, and that was huge over there. Yeah, and I think what's happened here, and tell me what you think, I think we've, parents are tired of making four or $500 investments in toys that then sit on the shelf, and we saw you know, the demise of Anki last right. week, which... We're going to get into Anki in a, in a few minutes, but I, I, I think to me, though, um, Robin, I, I, I think the, the loss of Toys R Us was a real uh, bucket of cold water for the industry. I think that has caused um, some, some pulling back. Uh, and then I think, the, and I always try to tell people, the toy industry in its soul is an industrial age industry. When Mattel hired Margot, I felt it was like they hired a jet pilot to, to, to drive a, a, a train. And uh, there were such differences. And, and so part of it is this, I don't, I don't know that the toy industry in, in its culture, in its soul, in its leadership is comfortable with, with that kind of technology. Well, when tablets were hot, they wanted to put a tablet in everything. And, you know, <laughs> right. I mean, you know and today's nine-year-olds have never lived in a world without a tablet, right? So it's not a wow. It's just not a wow. And it didn't add to the play. It added, in fact, like 500 or more dollars to the, to the cost of the toy, the, the Fisher-Price barnyard with the lake that you had to have the tablet to make the lake. What was that? <laughs> no, no, exactly. I totally, I totally agree. You know, and, but, but the grown-up industries did that, too. It's oh, tech, yeah. Tech for tech's sake has always been an issue, and then when you want to get you know, the real experience, you have to rethink every, everything. Right. Well, Robin, based on your experience with all of this, and being able to, to really look across platforms, who, who is providing the best play experiences that, for kids right now? I mean, forgetting the toy industry per se, but just in, in those who produce play, whether it's digital or whatever. Putting Robin in the hot seat. Whoa. I see. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. So, um, I mean, if you look at kids, forget about me. Look at look at them. I mean, YouTube strikes a chord right. that has never been struck, you know, before. Right. Others are trying to emulate it. It's where they go to learn how to do something, where they learn how to be creators, where they... Um, this just seems to be endless opportunity. And retailers and toy makers are finally going like, duh, like I think I should be there too. And so you're starting to see, I, I believe tech will become sort of invisible, but it will, I mean, kids don't differentiate between digital and non-digital. I agree, that's absolutely true. Yeah. Just, 
want to have fun. And I think with to your point about YouTube, it's helped build community. One of the things I always talked about was the rainbow loom. If you remember back, it was that loom where you made things out of rubber bands. Couldn't have been more low tech. But what helped propel it was not only kids playing with it at camp and coming home, but the how-to videos on YouTube. They created a virtual community around weaving with rubber bands. I, you know, I, I'm going to take us on a sharp right turn for a second. <laughs> okay. I don't mean that politically. I mean, <laughs> it's just a surprise. <laughs> but I was thinking this weekend, uh, you know, my son went to see the Avengers movie. And I, I, I hadn't seen movies, and, and, and I, you know, I, I may go. Uh, and I said, well, you know, what happened to Captain America? And, and he refused to tell me. And um, uh, I was thinking about how these communities, the, the Avengers community, this, this group, uh, millions and millions of people, uh, kept a secret. You know, It's incredible. Yeah, it's, they kept a secret. It is a sharp right turn in general, but yeah. It's, yeah it's, they uh, kept a secret. Yeah. And then uh, when I was at Comic-Con, I was struck by that community that they would refer to themselves as my people, our people. Uh, and, and so in this time of political disruption... It seems to me that communities form around Harry Potter, Pokemon, Pokemon, and these are, are, are very large communities, and so there is a time of unity it, it, at the same time. And I wondered if, if, if we could just for a second, if, if you would indulge me, get into this notion of community and that play and popular culture can bring people together. I mean, I think Pokemon was a great example of that, where you had streets of people running out. Pokemon with, Go. With You're Pokemon talking about the virtual. Sorry, right. with, their, with their app. I know, now we have to see the movie, right? Well, Detective to... Pikachu. Yeah, yeah my son probably won't tell me what happens to Pikachu. Probably not. Well, the amazing thing is, there's a story in the newspaper that some guy had a fight with another, the co-worker at Walmart because he told him the end of the movie. <laughs> Spoiler alert. He punched him. The police came. And then in the police report, they wrote up the end of the story as part of the oh, altercation. Yeah. Oh, Everybody's mad at the police yeah, department. No. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That, so that's, that's how strong that community is about, um, about you know, this shared secret and this shared... Um, but it was also a shared activity with the Pokemon Go. It's like people yeah. go, here's a Pokemon gym, here's this. I was, I was, in, a, uh, I was in a cemetery in Maine. I love cemeteries, and I thought, oh, here's another kid who's interested in the history. No, he was searching for Pokemon. When I, when I got over, he was searching for Pokemon in the cemetery in Maine. So it's really become this sort of cultural event yeah. around the, the but, app. But the right, problem... Right. They're short-lived. They're like 10-minute events. I mean, but by the time they trend, they're over. And actually, the number, the trending thing is something like a trend on uh, Twitter is about two hours long. I, I what is wrong with us? <laughs> Robin, excuse me, I have to stop. Did he find Pokemon in the cemetery? I, did, I didn't ask. I was busy looking at, you know, who What's was Pokemon dead in the 1800s. Doing in the cemetery? That's a little... Well, if you remember, there was a little <laughs> outburst when Pokemon Go first came out that um, it, it, it was in a cemetery, it was at some <laughs> memorials, and they, they had to remove Yeah, right. a little strange. Um, yeah. And that, and that, that uh, people were going to lure your children with Pokemon and kidnap yes. them. And, you know, yeah. as I said at the time, nobody probably wants your children, especially if they... <laughs> <laughs> So true. <laughs> the so ransom true. of Red Chief. <laughs> so true. But those phenomena for how many people are trying to create them are so far and you know, few and far between. Well, the Harry Potter game, the long-delayed Harry Potter game that's similar to that is, is coming out shortly, I think. 
I think it's coming out in the next few months. I forget the name of it, but it's a, it's coming out. You know, it's a, it's a, again a massive multiplayer online collecting yeah. spell casting type of immersive so, thing. The reason I think the, the ability to keep secrets is important is that culturally, I think back and and probably uh, many of the people listening to this would never have experienced this time, but there was a time, probably it, it ended in the 70s, where if someone had cancer, as an example, the entire family would be told by the doctor to keep it a secret from the patient. And believe it or not, no one would tell the patient he or she had cancer, and the family would conspire together to do this. And yet, uh, and then there were other, I think because of World War II, uh, this loose lips sink ships. I think there was a culture of secrecy in the United States. And then now, nobody keeps a secret anymore. It, it, it's, it's a sieve. But all of a sudden, we have uh, these huge communities coming together, like in the Avengers movie, to not let the ending get out into the public space. And so this is a phenomena we haven't seen for 50 years. You're right, and and there's trying to be some mutual agreement about cultural things um, on the in, on the internet for like the first time because it's now in our DNA and we now know enough about it. I mean, look at everything that's going on with privacy and who owns right. what. I mean, this is going to be the big discussion moving forward. Well, I think I think in entertainment, there's always been this thing like don't ruin the ending, like don't you right. know, like Psycho. When Psycho came right. out, Hitchcock said. Nobody will be admitted in the last 10 terrifying minutes or, or whatever. So it's on some level, it's the fans don't want to wreck it's, it for the other fans. It's a pass. So, mm -hmm. But what's, I think what's significant is a lot of people reveal secrets because they feel it's self-aggrandizing or it's going to get them followers on social media or whatever. But as, as Robin has said, that actually can backfire. Yeah. on people. I don't, I don't want to know. I thought you were going to tell me something about Avengers, and I was about to go, la, 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 put my fingers <laughs> in my ears, because I haven't seen it yet. Well, don't ask but, my but son. But it's not a new phenomenon. It's inclusivity and exclusivity, and you know, now they say inclusive is the new exclusive. You know, everybody's invited to the party. But going, really? No. It's the same as ever. You have these people wanting to be in their more exclusive clubs, and you know, every girl will tell you, they kept their secret diary locker thing, but they would say to their best friend, I'm only telling right. you. <laughs> but this is a pretty big club. I mean, I know this is a scale uh, that I don't, I mean, we, we saw millions and millions, hundreds of millions maybe right. of people went to the movies in a fairly short amount of time. Over a billion dollars in yeah. like a week. So this was a scale that I don't think we've but seen What about before. over time? Did you know how Tony Soprano was going to end? Or did you know, I mean there are, I think Chris is onto something that in the entertainment industry, the spoiler alert concept is almost as much fun. Right. It's almost like a form of play. Like you don't want to know that the Von Trapps got out of Austria. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I, I, am I guess what I... What, tooth fairy's nest. What, what I see there is, is a, at a time in the world where there is so much division that so many people from so many walks of life are able to come together around an Avengers or a Harry Potter 
uh, and and uh, form a community, that it's very refreshing. I think it's nice. That that point I think is is really true. I mean, I think that it becomes a cultural event, and we don't get many. No. We don't get many cultural events. Harry Potter was kind of a cultural Game event. Game of Thrones is, is Game of Thrones example. is one. Star Star Wars tends to be though that's dissipated yes. somewhat as it's you know in the forty plus years. Is just about done. Um, yeah. But yeah, it it does become a cultural event, and so so bringing it back to to toys and plays and playing kids. So <laughs> I I think with the Avengers movie, a lot of the little kids who are buying the toys aren't actually going to see the movie. But there is this cross-generational thing that, you know, it's parents who remember these characters so well, bringing their kids. There's a lot of nostalgia in the toy business right now. I want to remember, I'm surprised there's not an Ed Sullivan doll. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, Mego brought back all those dolls, all those action figures from the 80s. They brought back the Cher action figure. She's very top of mind now, but... But they, you know, all the people from uh, those those '80s TV shows that, that Marty Abrams created at Mego, they they brought them back at Target last year. I mean, we had shared moments when I was growing up. It was Bonanza, and it was the Ed Sullivan Show, and it was um, it was shared moments of play. But word spreads a little slower. You know, you couldn't make whatever Othello a fad. Oh, right, it, it took it took one. time. So there is a lot of stuff we're talking about here. Robin, will you come back and talk to us some more? Gee, I don't know. The view is extraordinary. The day is beautiful. The coffee's good. Conversation's good. Twist my arm. Okay. We'll be back next time with more with Robin Raskin. Uh, So this is Richard. And this is Chris. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of The Playground. Be sure to subscribe. Let us know what you think in the comments and what you'd like to hear us talk about. And we'll see you next time. Bye.